good. Um, all right, let's jump in. We'll be in Hebrews 3 and 4 uh, this morning. Many moons ago, there was a time when farmers on the Great Plains, at the first sign of a blizzard, would tie a rope from their door to the barn. Some of you know this because you live on a, bar, uh, a farm. And so for most of us city folk, um, suburbanites, we don't understand this, but I sure as heck don't. Uh, but they would tie a rope. It was necessary for them because what they had heard is that when that blizzard hits, all of a sudden you can't see your left hand from your right. And all of a sudden, there was many, many stories of people that froze in blizzards because of this. And so they would tie a rope and it would help them guide them back to their home in, in the midst of, of chaos. And they couldn't just not go to the barn. They had animals in the barn. They had to take care of uh, their livelihood, the things that were happening in these conditions. And so they had to be able to go from point A to point B. But they needed a rope to help guide them along the way. And so today we live in a blizzard of another sort, uh, a blizzard of 24-7, never-ceasing, always-striving, constantly-connected driven, distracted, sorrowful, confused, restless. I mean, that's, that's our world that we live in. Jesus said you will have trouble in this world. There's difficulty and, and, and pain in this world. And the blizzard in this life of demands and cares and motivations and temptations can be pretty daunting and overwhelming. Uh, a poet, Leonard Cohen, said that the blizzard of the world has crossed the threshold and it has overturned the order of the soul. So Jesus offers us Sabbath as a rope to bring us home. It's as if the, the rope in the midst of the blizzard of our lives needs a, a, some kind of rope that's going to guide us in the midst of the chaos of this life and the confusion of this life to bring us back home. So Sabbath is our rope, helping us find our way home, guiding us to the promised land. And we want to talk about that this morning. We're ending our series on Sabbath. Some of you are just exhaling that we're ending this series on Sabbath. No, it's been good. I've heard many good stories about people that are dipping their toe into trying what Sabbath looks like for them personally. Every one of us is different in our journey of Sabbath. I know there's a kid screaming downstairs. We all hear it. Let's just call it what it is. It's good. Probably one of my kids. So uh, we've been navigating through this over the last several weeks about Jesus' invitation for rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Exchange the yoke that you wear for the yoke that I give. And this yoke is a different way of living life under the rule and reign of Jesus. And we talked about the invitation of rest. We've talked about the rhythm built into creation, this market day of the soul. Six days we work, one day we rest as we image God in the world. We talked about this reality of how Sabbath is designed to be a resistance. It's designed to resist our internal urge to have no limitations. And to resist the desire to live in Egypt. So Sabbath is a day we look back on creation and the rhythm of creation. There's, Sabbath is a day we resist the present pull of Egypt and this morning, we're going to consider how Sabbath is a day we look forward to eternal rest. So in Sabbath, there's this complicated, beautiful reality of we look back into creation, we look into the present of resistance, and we look forward to the future day of eternal rest. It points us forward to future rest, a future day of new creation that is profoundly stabilizing as we navigate the blizzard of this life. So just two brief points for us. 
maybe not brief, and let's be honest, but two points for us. The first is that Sabbath has always pointed God's people to the future promised land. Sabbath has always pointed God's people to the future promised land. So if you go to Hebrews, towards the back end of the Bible, you'll find that um, this beautiful book, we, we know a lot about it. We don't know who, who wrote it. Um, there's debate on who might have written it, but we know it was a pastor writing to a congregation that was speaking Greek, but they were Messianic Jews. So they were Jews that turned to follow the way of Jesus, but they spoke Greek. And so this writer wrote to them to help understand who Jesus was. So they were, he was, this writer was compelling them to not abandon their allegiance to Jesus. It's not a new thing. For people who follow Jesus to feel a allure to not follow Jesus. It's not an abnormal reality that we feel today where people feel a draw to reject the faith that they once had. That's been happening for generations. The enemy's ways are not new. Always trying to slowly allure us away. And the writer of Hebrews writes to remind them of the significance and the allegiance that we're invited into as we seek to follow Jesus. And like a rhetoric hammer, the author elevates Jesus in every way a Jew would know how. And so throughout the letter in Hebrews, over and over and over and over again, we see how Jesus is better than everything else. We see it in, in, in a Jew's perspective, how he's better than Moses, how he's better than Joshua, how he's better than the, the patriarchs of the faith, how he's better than all these great ones, that he is the significant one that we ought to give our allegiance to. So we jump into Hebrews 3, and we hear a bit about this. We find an invitation to rest. And he begins in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, and he quotes Psalm 95. Sometimes when you read your Bible, you, can, um, you see these indentions, and, and oftentimes these indentions are a quote of a, another section in Scripture. And there's typically significance to why that's the case, and we'll see that here in just a minute. And so in, in Hebrews 3, 7, it says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as, as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test. And saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And so we see this introduction. And again, we oftentimes can breeze through references. But, but we... we we want to turn back to the original quote because we're going to get understanding for the, the type of rest that this author is referencing. So we've got to go back to Psalm 95 to understand this. So flip on back to Psalm 95, and uh, we're going to read um, this psalm, and it's going to help, hopefully make a little bit more sense to us. I feel like a few more of you brought your Bibles today. I feel, feel a few more turn, turns of the pages. Anybody else feel that? It got breezy in here for a second. It's interesting. Psalm 95, verse 1, says this. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. This is the part he didn't quote. The second half is what he will, will quote, but I want to give us context. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into the presence with 
his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. So that's the first half of Psalm 95. It begins with this call. It's a call of worship. It's this invitation to engage this king. Come, let us worship. It mentions action. To come, to enter in, it says. It lays out these three tiers of things, the, the, depths and the, the depths and the heights and the land. There's three sections of God's creation that he references. It says, praise the rock of our salvation, also translated a synonym for rescue. So praise the rock of our rescue, he says. So let us bow down and worship the one who made the cosmos, the one who made us. Let us worship him. And then we pick up what the Hebrews writer says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa at, in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. He says, don't harden your hearts like the ones who had gone before you. Don't do the very thing that your forefathers and mothers once did. This word rebellion that we see here is, is, is contending. It's contention that, that's happening between the people of God and God. There's this constant reference throughout the story of Israel after they had been set free from Egypt where they contended against God. Where they contended when, when the manna, uh, in the manna story, they were con contending with God, not wanting what God was providing for them. In the story where, where Moses hit the rock and water came out, they contended with God over and over again. They were never satisfied with the way that God led them. And so he says, they shall not enter my rest. The psalm is, again, riffing Genesis and Exodus over and over and over again. Trying to move away from testing and quarreling. So the writer of Hebrews could have focused on the narrative of Genesis and Exodus. But, but the writer of Hebrews goes to Psalm 95. He says, in other words, don't let the past repeat itself. So that's what Psalm 95 is telling us. Don't let the past Repeat itself. Encourage each other with Psalm 95. So here's the point. Reading the wilderness narrative that we see as the Israelites come out of Egypt challenges the future generations. That you can get lost, you can rebel, and you can harden your heart. You can see the miracles of the Red Sea. You can see the miracles of the manna. You can see the miracles of the way that God freed you from Egypt. And you can still harden your heart. And so he's reminding the people of God, 
Don't repeat what your forefathers and mothers did. Don't go back to those ways and harden your heart. Miracles aren't just enough. Don't just allow those things to be like, oh, that was cool and move on. But allow God to be your, your king. See, the design of the wilderness narrative is leading to the promised land. And it's an image of the future day of rest. So you finish the Old Testament and you find that the people of God never found this rest. Because he promised that they wouldn't have it. They never experienced the fullness of the promised land. The rebellion of the people of Israel led them to not enter the seventh day of rest. So there's a future rest. And Sabbath is designed to be a taste of that future day. The Sabbath is designed to point us to a future day of rest. And so the author continues in Hebrews. So go back to Hebrews. And if you had a hard time finding Hebrews again towards the end of the, the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 4, we'll pick up where it says this. For he, has, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, when those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Pause there. There's almost like this satire where he says, it says somewhere of the seventh day, I mean, he's well aware where, where it is. Genesis 1, where God creates, seventh day, Genesis 1 and 2. And then he references Psalm 95, that my rest is yet to come. There's still a rest to be entered into is the point. There's something God did, something we can enter into in the present. And Psalm 95 is renewing the call of entering into this rest. It's renewing this call. We see this repetition throughout Hebrews 4, 3 and 4, that rest is mentioned 12 times, it enters into, it mentioned 11 times, that entering into the rest is commonly tied together. So he's renewing the call of the people of, of God, allowing Sabbath to be a taste, a foretaste of the future rest that is to come. So then in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, it says, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another later day. Joshua in Greek is Jesus. And what's interesting, I heard one commentator mention that the author's winking here. He's using the story of Joshua that's coming right after Moses, but he's winking at the fact that this name Joshua, which is Jesus, is the one who is to come to provide that rest. And then in Hebrews 4, Nine, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And we see the implication here that the risen Jesus, not the Jesus of the past, but the Jesus who has risen has opened up Sabbath rest for the people of God. It has renewed the promised land, which is more than Jesus is still, uh, more than the promised land is still to come. So Sabbath is a taste of future rest. So the point is this. That Sabbath is always designed to point back to the creation story. It's designed to point to the presence of resistance. And it's designed to point to the future day where there will be an eternal rest for the people of God. And so in Hebrews 4.11, it says, So let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So let us strive after tasting of that rest. We live in a world that is 
broken and marred and filled with distraction and restlessness. And Sabbath is a gift, it's a tool, it's a practice that helps us navigate through this life, tasting of what is to come every seven days, remembering that the promised land is still to come. See, the whole Old Testament story is a story of disobedience. And we're in the prophets right now in Bible study. And over and over again, we're hearing God call to the people of Israel to return to him as they rebelled against him. See, after leaving Egypt while in the wilderness, not yet in the promised land, not yet in the land of rest. While they're on their way, God's inviting them in the wilderness to start living as if the promised land is to come. And he says, every seventh day, I want you to take a Shabbat, a Sabbath. Every day, I want you to stop. And I want you to remember that the, the promised land is to come. It's a, it helps fuel our patience along the way to not grow weary and to remember God's goodness. It was a significant holy blessed day. We've been talking about that. So Shabbat or Sabbath is a festive day when Jews exercise their freedom from the regular labors of everyday life. It became one of the seven festivals in their calendar. They practice every year. So each one participating in the seventh day rest. But the other festivals played into this, that every seven years the Israelites would liberate slaves, forgive debts, let the lands rest. And then every seven times seven years, every 49 years, the year of Jubilee, that if anyone lost their lands or went into debt, it was all forgiven. So the Sabbath, these festivals, the year of Jubilee, are all pointing to the future hope of eternal rest, the promised land. So Sabbath pointed back to creation, but it also pointed forward to the promised land. So Jesus, he comes and he modifies it a bit in his resurrection. All the festivals were coming now through him because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. So the point of this section is to see that the Sabbath is a rhythm built into our lives to remember our future day of rest, which leads to the second point. That Jesus' resurrection redefines Sabbath and invites us to hope in the future promised land. Friends, Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where God's light and life broke into darkness. So because of this resurrection, we have hope in God's future rest. It's like we're still in the wilderness, and some of us feel this more than others. But we, it's like we're in the wilderness where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards this ultimate day of rest, Jesus invites us to, to taste every seven days of that future day that is to come. See, Sabbath is our rope helping us find our way to the promised land. Even Rabbi Heschel, Abraham Heschel, could see this as a Jew. He says, Unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated in the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal, and the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. So in Sabbath, we look back into creation, we look into the present of resistance, and we look to the future of eternal rest. This is why this gift of Sabbath is so different than the secular rest we talked about several weeks ago. But this Sabbath is rooted in depth. It's rooted in meaning. It's root, rooted in this profound nature of looking back to creation, to the presence of resistance, and to the future of eternal 
rest. So we take a day. We're invited to take a day to stop, to rest, to delight and worship and anticipate in a built-in rhythm of our future rest that is to come. It's marking our rhythms to remember that story. So friends, we can taste this new creation now. When we gather, we can taste of this new creation. We taste of God's design. We taste and recall that there's a resistance that we're invited into. We remember the body and blood of Jesus and that there's a future promise to come. And when we rest, we can taste this. The symbols and practices that we have can pull us towards that end. So the Lord's day is a day of new creation. And if we're honest, we need that. We live in a world that is difficult. We need a day to remember the rhythms of work and rest, lest we go against the grain of the design. We're invited to experience that more. And we need a day to yearn for our eternal rest. That future day, what does that mean, eternal rest? That we just sleep forever? No, that's not the point. The future day where we rest from strife. We rest from sin. We rest from temptation. It's put to bed forevermore. We rest from sorrow. We rest from fear. We rest from angst. We rest from death. And this is the eternal rest that we're invited into. We've felt this over the last week with things related to Nashville and other things as well. Sorrow and pain and loss. In this life, Jesus says, you will have trouble. But this day reminds us that sorrow isn't the final word. In Christ alone, my hope is found. See, in the heights of life and in the sorrows of life, he holds us. Jesus helps us to make sense of this life, and he provides the hope that completes the incompletion that is here. See, the shadow of sin and death are not the final word, and it's here where we have hope. That he inaugurated a new day in his resurrection. And in that day we have hope. We yearn for this coming promised land. We yearn for death to be put to death. We yearn for Hosanna to come and reign forevermore. To reign as king over all. And for there not feel like there's a competition between death and our Savior. But we would feel it put to death. And we exist with this eternal rest. Well, we live... And those things are put to death. And we are promised a day to come when the groans of this world will cease and the streams of living water will flow, providing abundant life forever. And Sabbath taps into that space. It's this beautifully complicated gift that is given to us to look back and remember six days we work, one day we rest as we image God. In the present, to resist our internal striving and the, 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 the temptations of Egypt and to look forward. And there's a day when death will be put to death and he shall reign as Prince of Peace forever and ever. And we look forward to that day. And every seven days, regardless of how difficult life was, or every, uh, if the previous six days were filled with the next six days are filled with sorrow. We can have this day where we can remember the coming day, the coming promised land. Sabbath is our rope. It helps us find our way home. Wayne Mueller says that like a path through the forest, 
Sabbath creates a marker for ourselves. So if we are lost, we can find our way back to center. It's the rhythm of Sabbath, year in and year out. We talked about how last week how Sabbath, you do it, you do it for your life. That's like 11 years of your life. And you do that week in and week out. What does that do to you? It changes who you are. It changes who you are. It changes how you're driven. It changes your perspective. It changes where your hope is. It reconnects you and reorients you to God. And I'm not pretending like Sabbath is just some easy, idealistic day. Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes, we talked about this before, you feel like an addict. Like an addict yearning to go back to work or yearning to live under Egypt or yearning not to believe in the future promised land. But man, week in and week out, this, begil, uh, this builds this well-worn path of resistance and a reminder of the coming promised land. That's what practices do. They shape us in this way, this beautiful way. See, friends, there is a rest we are to enter into. We're invited to strive and enter into, as the text says. And Sabbath is our rope, helping us find our way home, guiding us to the promised land. So as we close, I finish out this series, I just continue to remind you of a few things. For some of you, I, I invite you to continue to take steps towards Sabbath. And there's no standard that we have for us. For some, it's going to be an hour. For some, it's going to be an afternoon or an evening. For some, it's going to be a half day or a full day. But regardless of what it is, our encouragement is for you to take a step, to take a step together, to move towards his end and feel the invitation of Jesus. For some of you, you need to lean into being intentional. Because if we're honest, maybe you're not really intentional. And so for some of you, you have to choose to be a bit more intentional with your other six days so you actually can have a seventh day of rest. And if you're not intentional on your six days, you ain't ever going to have a space of rest on your seventh. So for some of you, would continue to encourage you to be intentional. And for others of you, make sure you're gracious with yourself. Make sure you're gracious with your family. Your kids aren't going to understand your deep value and conviction for Sabbath. Be okay with that. Take a deep breath. They're just kids. Calm down, okay? This isn't salvific, right? This is a gift that leads us and guides us. And so for some of you, swim in grace. And for others of you, be intentional. But the invitation is for all of us to take steps. Allow the Lord of the Sabbath to guide you. I believe that when he said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And in me you'll find rest for yourselves. I believe that he meant that. I believe it wasn't designed to just be something to be put on a t-shirt. I believe that he actually meant what he said, but the necessary ingredient is to replace the yoke that we have been taught with the yoke that he supplies. And to exchange that by our practices. And in that place of entering into allowing him to be the Lord of our lives, there's something beautiful that happens that we're invited into. And I invite you into that. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. We have a Savior that provides rest for our souls. We have a Savior who's not done with us, and he'll provide eternal rest when these things will be put to bed forever, and we will reign and exist with him forever. We look forward to that day together. Amen? Let's pray.
thank you that we have a Savior. Oh, we give you thanks that we have a Savior. We give you thanks that we have a King. We give you thanks that you're not oblivious. You're not a creator who disappears. But you're at work. And you're turning evil things for good. Lord, we give you thanks that you're the man of sorrow. You wept at death. You understand the pain of this life. So you swallowed it. And you promised that you would come again and make all things new. And as we live in this blizzard of life, God, I pray that you'd help us to have a rope to lead us home. Lord, even in this moment, I pray that you would help us to recall your goodness and your faithfulness. And on it we stand. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I give you thanks. I give you thanks. In Jesus' name.